So it's storming here in Boston. I have my lights out. I have my storm candle on. It's like storm scented. So it's storm a refreshing scented. tropical, a refreshing tropical storm containing tangerine, blackberry, and guava finished with sugarcane and a grassy breeze. Well, that sounds delicious. It smells amazing. Um, and I've got my espresso that I just made to wake me up. I'm just having myself like a, a nice fall day. Sounds really nice. Is it raining storming or like snow it's, storming? It's sprinkling. Yeah. How are things? Um, isn't it on fire in Colorado and also snowing? snowing. <laughs> um, yeah, the snow's clearing up today. It was awful a couple of days ago. Um, but now it feels really nice out and the snow's clearing up. I have no idea how that impacted the fires but hopefully i don't know what snow does to fires but i hope it put it out hypothetically (laughs) one would assume um no it's it sounds like it's been really scary everything that's been going down yeah it's like weird apocalypsy like yeah Yeah, we got uh (laughs) like this whole second third wave first wave isn't even over but good news I don't have coronavirus. Woohoo! My quarantine is over. I just got my results. You can finally step outside. That's so on nice. Monday. Although now it's not even nice outside, so Aww. I'm like, ah, oh, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, I got my corona test. Have you had to get a corona test yet? No. I I don't think it was as bad as I thought it might be, but it also was not very pleasant. Like, I don't know how to describe the sensation of, like, getting a Q-tip shoved that far up your nose. And I definitely coughed on the doctor who was doing it. So I guess it's a good thing that I don't. Because I don't know. I don't know what it's. It's not like your gag reflex. But, like, I was just, like, when he shoved it up my nose, I was, like, (laughs) and I just coughed. I'm, like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. That does not sound but you can't fun. Help it. I you also can't feel help it. with a lot of things in terms like medically, I feel like there has to be a better way. Like, I don't know, I just feel like there should be a better way than like fondling someone's brain with a Q tip, but that's just me. That's what you might think. That <laughs> is how I feel. I don't know if we've talked probably we've talked about this before, but my number one i think like fear in life is getting the strep test to the point where i am a therapist i understand the concept of like relaxation meditation like oh things aren't as bad as you think they're gonna be like i physically cannot open my mouth for a strep test i like i just can't do it i can't like, and I, I will freaking cry in the doctor's office, which, like, you have your fear of needles. That's, like, needles, yeah. I can, like, stab me anywhere. I don't care. God. One bit. 
in fact, when I've gone to the doctor before, I'm like, can you just take my blood instead? Like, is there some way that you can do this instead of doing a, a strep test? Um, so that's that's my one thing. And you know what? I, I would put the corona test. Well, okay. Shot is like first, I would prefer that. And then second would prefer a corona test. And then like chopping off my toe is a third and then at the bottom of the list is a strep test that's how bad i hate it oh my god rachel i'm getting like tense just talking about it oh my god i hope i never get strep throat again because i'm just gonna die like that's it (laughs) i mean yeah i hope you don't get strep ever again hopefully um i used to get strep a lot as a kid and i don't remember ever getting a strep test but it's also I have, like, so many traumatic memories of the doctor, so it's Mm. very possible that I've just, like, blocked it all. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you just, you know, blacked out the whole time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have similar experiences when I go to the dentist because I have really bad teeth, so I get cavities all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, like, any... Well, anytime they have to do the x-ray or if there's, like, a cavity that I have that's in the back of my mouth, oh my god the last time I went um I asked for a bite guard because I have like really bad jaw problems too so it's hard for me to keep my mouth open long enough for them to do all their stuff and I get really tense um and so they were like trying to measure my mouth for bite guard and they had like this piece of paper where they were like measuring it they're like can you open your mouth any wider and I was like I I guess like I'm trying my best they're like yeah we're just trying to decide between the pediatric bike guard and like the small bike guard um so I have the mouth width of a child apparently (laughs) oh that's good (laughs) you know just talents hidden talents well um I do want to tell you that I finished the great and it was so I was so mad (laughs) Like when the last episode ended, I was like, "What do you mean? There's not another one." <laughs> I'm. They have to be getting a second season. Yeah, it's so like it was so funny. Um, I, I forgive you for leading me astray the first time. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Isn't but, it? I feel like that is one of the best, like, well done TV shows I've seen in such a long time. It's really good. It reminds me of probably like a less, like insane version of have you ever seen the show norseman on netflix no i haven't it is so funny (laughs) it like it has like that same kind of like humor um so norseman is like vikings and Mm. but they're all like it's like pc culture (laughs) like they they're all aware of like pc so like they're like oh you know we really want to respect her autonomy as a woman but also like (laughs) we're oh, vikings like so it's it's, it's so funny um but it, it has that same like very smart i think kind of unique humor um and so i'm looking forward to another season of it so thank you yes and i fin- i feel like our podcast is also half like tv show recommendations because it's like all <laughs> there is to talk about during corona um but i finished Shit's creek I cry. I finished it this you- weekend <laughs> and i've been going through a personal journey as well kind of like <laughs> As this has been, as I've been watching Shit's Creek, so, like, moments of my life were, like, aligning with the character development in the show. And I cried so much. Like, what, what, I cried, too, in the finale. I, 
Well, I, I cried a lot, I feel like, during that final season, but the finale especially, um, like, their wedding. Oh, I was just like, come on. See, that part didn't make me cry. It was Stevie singing, um, oh, what's yeah. the song called? Yeah. Maybe This Time. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that paralleled what I was going through this weekend. I was, like, waiting for the results of my corona test. Like, waiting for some career news. And I was mm-hmm. just like, maybe this time. I was, like, walking around <laughs> singing it. It was so bad. Oh, my God. Okay. But, no, everything turned out really well. So, like, yeah. it, it all works out. But still, like, oh, my gosh. Um, all good things. All good things. And then are you, are you going to continue watching The Great... British I think it's the Great British Baking Show or yes I think I said it's the Bake Off I realize I don't know any names actual names for things to be I think fair, I just make them they up. say Bake Off in like the people on it say Bake Off because I kept switching back and forth too okay and I did it didn't so the way I started watching it this time even though you told me to I probably was not planning on doing it but I clicked the random like play something on um, Netflix that they have and it just started playing and I was like mm-hmm. I'll do it um, and so I started I guess the most recent season and it didn't occur to me that it's a weekly thing and so I'm like what the heck like and who wins like what's going on um, and so I immediately just started like the next most recent one so I guess the seventh season or series if you're British but it <laughs> it's wholesome it's funny to me because one they like make fun of Americans like <laughs> um there's one episode where they're like you know, I guess they're talking about biscuits and in America a biscuit is a biscuit but in England a biscuit is a cookie <laughs> and so they're like yeah and in, in America uh they call a biscuit a sidewalk <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Hey guys, so this week, as a reminder to everyone, please leave us a rating and review. Hopefully, have it be nice, um, and we will donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. Um, You know... Like we say every week, it just helps us to get more listeners, helps people get interested in the show. So it'd really help us out. Um, And so we're finally coming to the end of this. It feels like it's been two years of Halloween themed episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So much has happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, But all good things. All good things. Um, Do you do you really celebrate Halloween at all? No. Okay, that's what I thought. Have you ever dressed up for Halloween? Um, like once, twice. Yeah. What did you dress up as? <laughs> um, I'm like once. pulling teeth here. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. You don't have to share. Um, no. Uh, once in college, like it wasn't. I wasn't really planning on dressing up, but my, I was leaving the um our townhouse, and my roommates were like, "You 
need to dress up and so gave me a leather jacket and so i was a greaser um (laughs) from the outsiders not from greece thank you very much (laughs) but yeah and then um a couple of years ago we went to one of our friends here like halloween parties and Jarrell and I were a bot, like he was Bob Ross because <laughs> he has the look. Oh, that's like the perfect. black Bob Ross. And um, I was just a Bob Ross painting. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Yeah. That's great. I am, I've been sending you, I've been getting all like the, oh, yeah. the Facebook <laughs> things of my old Halloween costumes. Oh my God. I dress up as Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. I don't even like Miley Cyrus as a thing. And I, I thought you were at first, I was like, is she a ball and chain? <laughs> yeah. I guess but. and then my costume didn't even make sense. I guess it was more like topical at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I like painted a styrofoam ball, but it was like a really small ball and I made like a duct tape chain and I obviously didn't go naked. Um I was like thinking about wearing like a nude leotard, but I couldn't find one, so I was just wearing white and like I dressed up as Kasha another time, but I had, like, dark brown hair for, like, both of these costumes, so I don't think it made any sense what I was. <laughs> now I could dress up as it, and it would make a lot more sense, but are oh you, well. Are you going to dress up this year at home? I don't know. I lent my um, dragon onesie to someone, and I don't know if I'm going to get it back <laughs> in time for <laughs> Halloween. Um I have a, a red jacket. I was thinking about being James Dean and just like sitting here by myself and being <laughs> James Dean, but like I don't know. You should just use whatever you have in your home and like. Well, who's going to so- see it? You should do like um, like a makeshift Jane Fonda. It's <gasps> like some yeah. I I could see that for you. If I you could have never. Something. <laughs> oh my god! If I had like a leotard, that'd be so perfect. <laughs> Maybe once Corona is over, we'll just have like a giant party where everyone celebrates every single holiday that they missed (laughs) all at the same time. And I'll dress up as Jane Fonda for that. (laughs) I like that. I like that. We're going to have a, this is getting so off topic, but an election (laughs) night party, maybe question mark. Oh my God. A party or great sadness. one of the two i like even just thinking about it it gives me so much anxiety i could not be around people for like i i'm pretty sure i'm gonna lock myself in the bedroom and self-develop i mean it's just gonna be me and evan and we're gonna have a bottle of champagne and if it's good news then we'll drink champagne if it's bad news we'll drink champagne so (laughs) solid i should go get myself some tequila (laughs) like yeah it's just I feel like maybe I should just uh, let my job know that I won't be working on Wednesday, just in case. I feel like a lot of people are going to be calling out on Wednesdays. So. Um, yeah. For I'm hopefully good reasons. I'm remembering the feeling that I had um, the day after the 2016 election at work. And I just, like, remember the... It was, like, complete sadness. We were there together. Sadness. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I... Like, the whole office was just quiet. It was, like, nobody wanted to speak. We were all just, like, what just... Happened. Yeah, I had class that day for school, and we had to like all process our feelings. It was so bad. Yeah, and at the time, everyone was like, "Ah, snowflakes crying." Well, look what happened, everyone. Look what happened. Okay, be sure to vote, everybody. 
vote, please. Everybody go vote. Um, um, and then yeah. we'll get started. It's taken yes. us so long to get here. Um, so we're doing our final Halloween-themed episode, and the theme was just Halloween. So I, I took that to mean a, a crime that happens on Halloween. Yes. Me too. <laughs> cool. Well, I actually interpreted the theme correctly this time. So um, for my case, the... Two women at the center of the crime are um, Joan Rabble and Goldine Pizer. So um, to start, I will tell you about these two other people. (laughs) Okay, so Peter Fabiano met his wife, Betty, in the late 1940s in Kingston, New York. The two fell in love and married and began their life together. Peter also became stepfather to Joan's two kids, Judy and Richard, from her previous marriage. Uh, Peter was a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and in the early years of their marriage, he worked as a truck driver. By 1956, the Fabianos decided to move to the opposite side of the country to open two beauty salons in Los Angeles, California. Unfortunately for the couple, soon after moving to L.A., they started facing relationship problems. The following year, a woman arrived at the doorsteps of one of Peter's salons looking for work. Her name was Joan Rabble, and she was a recent divorcee in need of a way to support herself. Given her experience, Peter hired Joan to work as an in-house photographer for his salon. Peter and Betty continued to struggle in their marriage, so much so that after some time, um, Betty moved out of her home with Peter and in with her new friend, Joan. The LA Times would later describe Betty and Joan's friendship as abnormal, which at the time was most likely code work for a secret lesbian romance. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, as far as I can tell, no one truly knew the nature of their friendship, but um, I think there was likely enough kind of breadcrumbs that people could kind of tell um, what was going on. And so either way, Joan's relationship with his estranged wife made Peter uncomfortable. After some time apart, Peter and Betty decided that they wanted to put the work in to save their marriage, and Betty moved back into their home. Joan was not happy about this, but soon after, she met, a, she met a woman and started a relationship with her. This woman was named Goldine Pizer. Um, like Joan, Goldine was a divorcee who had been known to date women, however taboo. Um, their relationship burned hot and fast, but Joan was still practically obsessed with Betty and getting her back by any means necessary. Goldine endured her new girlfriend constantly talking about Betty and sharing stories of Peter's unfitness to be Betty's husband. Joan claimed that Peter mistreated Betty and the children that and their two children or, or Peter's stepchildren. She also claimed that Peter was involved with drugs. Soon, even though she'd never even seen Betty and Peter in real life, after hearing all of these stories about how terrible Peter was, Goldine was convinced that Peter was an all-around evil dude. And probably to Joan's delay, Goldine was also concerned for Betty's safety. What Goldine hadn't realized was that she was playing right into Joan's hand. Joan crafted a careful plan um, to save Betty by getting Peter out of the picture, and Goldine followed all of Joan's careful instructions. 
Joan gave Goldine money and instructed her to purchase a gun and some bullets. So naturally, Goldine did. That escalated quickly. (laughs) Right? I personally would not have bought a gun for my new girlfriend who is obsessed with her ex, regardless of what she was saying. Like, if I truly was that concerned, I personally may have just gone to, like, the police. But, you know, whatever. I'm different, I guess. To each (laughs) their own. Exactly. Um, The plan was to kill Peter at the Fabiano's home on Halloween night in 1957. Joan knew that she would need an alibi for that night if ever she was questioned in connection to the heinous crime. And so Joan's story was going to be, I was at home all night. And so she decided it would be best to borrow a friend's car while leaving her car parked in her driveway all evening. That way, if neighbors were asked, they'd be able to tell investigators that her car never moved that night, which, you know, in a way kind of supports her alibi that she was at home. And so now that her fake alibi was secured, Joan also needed to secure another part of the plan, Halloween costumes. Joan went out and purchased a costume for Goldine. And on Halloween night, Joan and Goldine sat in a friend's car parked outside of Betty and Peter Fabiano's home. They watched trick-or-treaters come and go until 11 p.m. that night when the Fabianos turned out their lights for the evening. Following Joan's instructions and wearing the costume that Joan had purchased for her, Goldine stepped out of the car wearing jeans, a khaki coat, red gloves, and heavy eye and heavy makeup, and she covered that with a domino mask, which I had to look up, and I guess it's just, like, the mask that covers, like, around your eyes, kind of like Robin Hood. <laughs> Oh, I would be, wouldn't they call it, isn't it like Masquerade? I have no idea. Is Robin Hood who I'm thinking of? Who's the little, the boy that's with uh, Batman? That's just Robin, Natalie. (laughs) Robin Hood? I don't know. Oh my God. You you, you disappoint me greatly, but. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Continue. Anyway, so Goldine walked up to the Fabiano's home and rung the doorbell. And um, Peter and Betty had already gone to bed, but Peter figured that it must be some late trick-or-treater. So he got out of bed, grabbed the bowl of candy, and opened the front door. Goldine held up her trick-or-treating bag for Peter to drop treats into. However, what Goldine was actually doing was using the brown paper bag to conceal her weapon. Seconds later, Betty heard a deep voice that was not her husband's, followed by a loud sound. She ran to the front door and found Peter on the ground bleeding. Betty's daughter, Judy, had also woken up from the sound of the gunshot and ran to her neighbor's house, who was a police officer. Goldine had already ran back to the car where Joan was waiting as the getaway driver and the two sped off. The only witness was a teenager who told investigators that they saw the car speeding away. Peter was taken to Sun Valley Hospital, and there he was pronounced dead from a gunshot wound to the chest. I'm just now noticing, even after writing this whole case, that it's basically the same case as the one I did last week. Uh, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I guess. Whatever. Sorry, guys. Well, Um, not exactly the same, because there is a different element to this relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um... 
And so the murder apparently shared some characteristics of how gang hits were conducted at the time. But as far as investigators could tell, the family had no connections to any gangs or criminal operations. So the police were operating with no leads. Following their crime, Joan and Goldine burned the costume. Soon after, Joan broke up with Goldine, saying, forget you ever knew me. Goldine was heartbroken. She was also left without further instruction on what to do next from Joan. She still had the gun. She didn't want to keep it. And so she did the only natural thing that she could do. She put it in a storage locker at a department store. Why? I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. Does not make any sense to me. And uh, I don't know. Um, So pouring over the details of that night with investigators, Betty at one point described the second deep voice that she heard as like possibly unnatural, as if a man were imitating a woman or maybe the opposite, a woman imitating a man. Police asked Betty if Peter had any enemies, to which she provided one name. Join, join, Joan Rabble. I can't speak today. But unsurprisingly, there was no evidence pointing them in any direction, let alone in the direction of Joan. Eventually, investigators got a tip that led them to the gun hidden in the storage locker of this major department store. Um, And so I don't know if Goldine told somebody. I don't know if Goldine provided her own anonymous tip. Like... I don't know. Um, But uh, the gun, of course, was registered to Goldine since she's the one who purchased the gun and she purchased it legally. Um, And the bullets also match the kind um, that was used to shoot Peter. To shoot Peter. Um, And so two weeks later, detectives showed up at Goldine's door where she told investigators, it's a relief to get this off my mind. So that's kind of where I'm like, did she give the tip in herself like she was relieved when they like showed up to arrest her so i don't know um and so, so did did this woman basically use her and like oh yeah, got joan, her to to do it and then said I, we're broken up see you later yeah i think joan i think joan oh that's so sad like i think one she probably was like on the rebound a little bit wanted a little companionship met this woman that she was able to seemingly easily persuade like i'm just telling you stories about how this guy might be on drugs and i think he's mean to his wife and now you're like all on board with killing him so i do think she was very easily persuadable um yeah and then once the crime was done like less than two weeks later she was already out of the picture she was like i'm done with you goodbye so it kind of sucks for goldine but also don't kill people yeah just don't kill people easy not very nice rule to live by most of the time (laughs) um and so goldine told the police everything all of which was compelling enough to lead to joan's arrest both women were evaluated by several psychiatrists because given the time period homosexuality equated to insanity And there were questions as to whether or not they were fit to stand trial. Spoiler, their sexual orientation did not make them insane legally or otherwise. Like, it's so silly. It sounds like there might have been some other reasons for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think them being lesbians or gay or whatever is grounds for them to even be evaluated for this, but whatever. Um, And so Joan ultimately pled 
uh, not guilty in Goldine, however, eventually pled guilty, sorry, she pled not guilty by reason of insanity, claiming that she was easily influenced by Joan. She explained that she had no personal motive and that whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I have been impressionable and always trusting. And one of the psychiatrists who evaluated Goldine wrote that the only thought she had was that she saved her friend from an evil person. And so that line made me think that maybe um, that there was something missing in some of the like news articles that I had read, possibly that um, since Joan had worked for, previously worked for, I don't know what the status was um, for Peter at the time, that maybe she was... Joan was telling Goldine, like, you know, this is my employer, my former employer, and he is, like, threatening me somehow because he knows that I was in a relationship with his wife or something like that. Um, Because I feel like that is more reasonable of a reason for Goldine to feel like she needs to follow Joan's plan and kill Peter. Like, if she, like, the woman that she loves, um, even after this short amount of time, is in danger as opposed to a woman that you've never met, you know? Mm, it's a stretch, but... I don't know. I feel like if she like if she works for Peter and, like, Peter knows that she had slept with his wife, Betty, like, I could see Joan just being like, well, yeah, I think he's going to, like, hurt me. Um, that I feel like that's more reasonable than me, than telling her, hey, this guy is going to hurt this random lady. <laughs> like... Hey, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, that's that's just my opinion. Um, and so in 1958, both women took a plea deal that ended up reducing the original charge of first-degree murder to second-degree murder. And again, I never understand sentencing in this country or any other, but they were sentenced to five years to life in prison. I assume that means they need to serve at least a minimum of five years and um, could potentially serve up to life. I don't know. Um, And so, yeah, sentenced to five years to life in prison for the trick-or-treat murder of Peter Fabiano. And um, there is record that Goldine was released in 1971. But there's no trace of whatever happened to Joan. I don't know if she was released, if she died in jail or whatever um but yeah that is my halloween murder that along with your case last week just the extra steps that you're having to go through to commit murder seem very unnecessary to me not that i want anyone to be murdered ever but the whole like going and buying a costume i feel like is drawing attention to yourself and I feel like that's just, like, an extra mean way to murder someone. For to, sure. like, surprise them like that. That's just, like... Yeah. Like, they didn't stand a chance. Um, a bit extra, um, if you will. I mean, I find the whole case a bit extra, but, like, yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, and this isn't a victim shame. This is just, like, me personally... Um, if somebody knocks on my door at 11 o'clock at night, you know what I'm not going to do? Open Answer. the door. If anyone <laughs> knocks on my door at any time throughout the day. No, seriously. We, there have been times where we are both, like my husband and I are both sitting on the couch 
and somebody knocks and we just look at each other and we just like lower the tv volume and we're like hide under the couch like we didn't invite anyone over no one texted us that they were coming over we didn't order food silence (laughs) like we are not answering this door yeah Um, yeah so it's not the only people who knock on my door are are house people bringing us packages other than that, I'm not answering the door. Although, this one woman just knocked on the door and Evan answered, and she gave us chocolate-covered almonds, and they were really good. I would not have taken food from Sai. I would have literally thought, this. clearly, she's trying to poison me. <laughs> That's what I thought for a second, but I was like, maybe if I just eat two and then like wait a while and see if I experience any symptoms, and if I don't, then it's safe to eat the rest okay. of it. I find so I had almost the exact same similar thing happen um, this past weekend where it was the day it was like snowing like crazy. Somebody mm-hmm. started like banging on our door at like eight or nine. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, who is this? And they wouldn't stop. And so finally, I like just kind of opened the door like a crazy person, like, po- like cracked the door. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and it's our neighbor who's like directly across from us and he was just like yeah I came out here earlier and I saw your Chipotle order like on your doormat and um like it's still here like a couple hours later so I just didn't know if you forgot your Chipotle and I'm like we did not order Chipotle and so someone just delivered food to the wrong door and after a while Jarrell's like I think there's like Mexican soda in there, <laughs> like, or sorry, Mexican Coke in there. He's like, I kind of want it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was gonna ask, did you eat it? Because um, I well, I mean, it was totally, snow. Like it, the food had totally been frozen. At, oh. The food was like frozen by that point. But I was like, okay, like get the Mexican Coke. It's fine. Like it's been like four hours at this point. Um, and so there was two bottles, and he gave me one, and I like took a sip. And I sat there for a good 15 minutes, like, if if this was poisonous, like, it would set in by now, wouldn't it? Like, I was, like, I, I was so nervous that I just, somebody was like, like, this was a long plot to kill us, but it was fine. Well, <laughs> if anyone goes through the effort of murdering me via poison, I hope that you do a podcast episode about it. That yeah. is my only wish. In fact, take over our podcast and just tell us about your crime. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yeah, it'll it'll just turn into like an investigative podcast where <laughs> one of us solves the other's murder. Um, yeah, and well, and I hope I don't get murdered. So, <laughs> so the case that I chose to do itself didn't have too much meat to it because Natalie decided to take the one, like, really great woman. (laughs) It's just a very sexist, you know, very much male-dominated crime-committing holiday. holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I had to to get a little creative. But this story itself, I think, is fascinating. But I will run through some of the background stuff. So, And I do apologize in advance. I think I say trick-or-treating instead of trick or or treating <laughs> trick-or-treating tricker i just like it becomes one word trick-or-treating um so apologies in advance but bear with me it's just how i speak um so i think we've all seen the news stories that start around halloween that warn parents to check their children's candy for poison drugs razor blades 
needles, et cetera, et cetera. Have you, have you seen these, Natalie? Yes, which is like the primary reason that we weren't allowed to trick or treat as kids. My parents were like, people are going to try to kill you or they're going to try to kidnap you. So, Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I do recall back in the elementary school days um, being a part of the D.A.R.E. program. And I'm pretty sure they showed us pictures of what certain drugs look like so that we could be aware and not eat those. Um why any i think their reasoning was they are going to give you these drugs so that you get addicted to them as a child and then you come back and keep purchasing them but like in actuality what drug person is going to give their drugs to children um well if they're trying to get a bunch of kids hooked on like crack so you don't get more customers do you i don't i don't know how you do drugs (laughs) I, I know more recently it's been, oh, all these people are putting their edibles in kids' candy. Which, which why like, would you waste a good edible, though? I'm pretty sure edibles are expensive, so no exactly. one's doing that. And, yeah, it's just the logic isn't quite there. It's not. Um, yeah, as a child, how would I remember whose house to go back to if I was hooked on drugs? I wouldn't yeah, go to so many houses. Um, anyway, but that's something that kind of loops itself around every single year and um it i'm so i'm gonna go into kind of a exploration of of the background behind this um so i found this really great snopes article um they i wasn't able to find any instances they weren't either um let's be honest they did all the work they weren't able to find any instances of true halloween candy poisoning but i have a few little background stories leading up to my final story so like hang in there um that uh explains some of the candy panic that's out there um so Joel Best, a professor of sociology at California State University, Fresno, decided to look into these urban legends to see if he could find any truth behind them. Joel and his team looked through major newspapers throughout the country from 1958 to 1988. They found a total of 78 cases and two deaths involving some kind of Halloween candy panic, um, which I will discuss in, in just a second. I'll talk about the two deaths in further detail. But um, so out of the 78 cases, they were mostly pranks, but the deaths were were very much real. Um, they were just misrepresented early on about what happened. It appeared in, in most cases that it was just kids who heard about the rumors um, about like needles and razor blades and just like stuck them in their candy, not realizing how much commotion it would cause in the neighborhood, how much panic it would <laughs> induce. Um, There was also a case of a kid who brought a half-eaten candy bar to his parents saying, I think there's ant poison in this. His parents checked the candy only to find, or they they found actual ant poison in it. Um, But it turns out he like bit the candy bar in half and like stuck the ant poison in and it was like, mom, look, there's poison in this. So like he was just being a little rascal. (laughs) (laughs) Someone needed some attention. Uh, That kid needs some some therapy to process some issues, but either way. so uh, the first case I'm going to talk about took place on October 31st, 1974. An eight-year-old Timothy Mark O'Brien died after eating cyanide-laced pixie sticks. So Mark was poisoned by his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, who was attempting to get life insurance money for his son's death. Ronald had given poison pixie sticks to his daughter and three other children in an attempt to 
make it look like a random house had handed out the candy. Luckily, none of the other children had eaten the pixie sticks, and Ronald was convicted of murder in May of 1975 and was executed by lethal injection in March of 1984, which is pretty intense, I feel like. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so this story doesn't meet the criteria of random Halloween poisoning since it was very much intentional and there was a connection between the murderer and the victim. Um, So there was also another death that took place in 1970 that caused people to panic. Five-year-old Kevin Tostin lapsed into a coma on November 2nd. He died four days later of a heroin overdose. His candy showed it had been sprinkled with heroin after it had been analyzed by the police. While many news outlets reported this being an act of Halloween sadism, police later found that Kevin had gotten into his uncle's heroin stash and poisoned himself by accident. His uncle, worried that he would be blamed for Kevin's death, sprinkled heroin on Kevin's candy. Um, So there were a couple other cases that were like this. There were also a handful of cases where a child just happened to pass away right around Halloween from like a freak like heart thing that was undetected and there was worry at first that it was related to halloween candy but through you know an autopsy found that it wasn't um but it just goes to show that people are especially anxious around these times and you know news stories can kind of well in the case that something like that did happen you'd want to get the news out right away Mm -hmm. um so next i'm going to tell some stories about legitimate random poisonings um They did not happen around Halloween, but it just goes to show the background of what a random poisoning might look like. What? I guess they didn't know who did it, (laughs) given away the end. Um, But I think the most famous random poisoning was the Chicago Tylenol murders. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, yeah. I think I was going to mention that, yeah. Um, So I'll just give a a brief backstory. On September 29th, 1982, Mary Kellerman, a 12-year-old girl living in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, told her mom that she had a headache. Her mother gave her an extra-strength Tylenol, you know, not thinking anything of it. Mary was dead by 7 a.m. That same day, and this story's like really rough, um, a 27-year-old postal worker, Adam Janus, which like, postal workers... Are amazing. It's so tragic that this happened. Um, who lived in Arlington Heights, Illinois, dropped dead of what was presumed to be a heart attack. His family rushed to his home to figure out what was going on to console each other. Adam's brother and sister-in-law, Stanley and Teresa, both had headaches, which I think is a perfectly natural reaction to a stressful situation like that. So they went into Adam's medicine cabinet and took some extra strength Tylenol. Stanley died later that day, and Teresa died two days later. Three more unusual deaths occurred in the Chicagoland area. Mary McFarland, Paula Prince, and Mary Weiner all passed away over the course of a few days kind of surrounding the the other deaths. So the one thing that all these people had in common was that they took Tylenol shortly before they died. Um, McNeil Consumer Products, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, They took an active role in issuing a mass warning as law enforcement noticed this link between the deaths and the medication. They recalled 31 million bottles of Tylenol and offered replacements to those who turned in their old bottles. Which, like, props to them. That, I can't even imagine how much that, like, must have cost. Not to say that, like, a human's life isn't worth more, but um, 
they were just really on top of their stuff there. Um, and they're still around today. So clearly what they did worked for them because I think something like that could be really damaging to um, a company's well, yeah. image. But if more people, if more people died, then they're subject to like being sued more. Like, yeah, true. this is the best. Like now they come off as looking like they care, which I'm not saying they didn't, but they did good. <laughs> Okay, Natalie. <laughs> um, so they also purchased a reward that would be given to anyone who had any information about the poisoning. Fun fact, throughout writing this, I realized I cannot spell the word poison. <laughs> I keep Fair. doing P-O-S-I-O-N. Yeah, I do that too. I also, in mine, I kept writing better instead of Betty. So we all have our things. <laughs> Anyway, um, so police found tainted capsules in stores in the Chicagoland area early in October, but none of them had been sold or consumed. Police hypothesized that someone had taken the Tylenol off the shelves of the stores that they were in, so it happened post-production. It wasn't something that happened in the factory. Um, Laced them with poison and then put them back on the shelves. To to the... To this day, the murder or murderers have never been found. So that's a pretty scary case if you think about it. Um, And I know that that's something that changed the way that medications were Mm -hmm. made um, and kind of those like safety precautions that we have now, which is like a good thing. Um, There's a good um, BuzzFeed Unsolved episode on it too, if anyone wants to check that out. Also, Becca mentioned, my sister, that there was a copycat that was a woman of the Tylenol murder, so I'm going to have to look into that. But, like, Mm -hmm. I think, I want to say that it's been hypothesized that the Tylenol poisoner might have been a woman. Yeah. I don't know if there was any, I I might just be making that up in my head, but. I mean, there's a a 50-50 chance. (laughs) Well, I think there's more than a, less than a 50-50 chance, just based on how who serial killers but um anything's possible (laughs) so the final mass poisoning scare that i'll talk to before i get to my actual story um so there was another mass poisoning scare in 1988 that people feared was directed at children a woman in dumont new jersey thought the sun-kissed fun fun fruit dinosaur candies that she bought for her son were tainted with poison because they were covered in a white powdery kind of thing um so she brought the candies to the police department to be tested and they found the candies tested positive for something (laughs) s-t-r-y-c-h-n-i-n stridrin tested positive for poison Everybody panicked. The dinosaurs were pulled off the shelves, but after the Federal Food and Drug Administration, the <laughs> what is going on today? But after the Federal Federal Food and Drug Administration, say that five times fast, tests later showed that the candy from the same batch had no stricture. They determined that the test performed by the state police was a fluke. So the assistant general counsel john young for lipton maker of the sun-kissed fun fruits dinosaurs said he did not believe the state police were set up to perform a sophisticated food analysis and john was unable to estimate how much money lipton had lost due to the scare because i had to yank everything off the shelves just because some lady was scared that she saw a little cornstarch on uh, 
for food. Listen, lady, what you should have done is given your kid one dinosaur and if, oh <laughs> if he started no. experiencing symptoms, then don't eat the rest of them. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. That's bad. But I think that would be, I think this woman just like totally panicked. I'm surprised that the police even took her seriously because yeah. aren't, wouldn't the police be like, oh, it's probably cornstarch because I feel like everybody knows that, you know? I also feel like my first inclination, and I feel like even if I were a parent, even if I were like a super concerned parent or like a, like a, not concerned, like a cautious, a wor- like a worried parent, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, yeah. Um, if I saw, if I was like, mm, this doesn't look like something I want to give my kid, I would have just thrown it away. Well, that's selfish, Natalie, and let all the other <laughs> children die from eating poison dinosaurs. I mean, did any other children die from <laughs> no. eating poison? Di- I would have, you know, saved the world panic from panic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm too trustworthy, but I would probably be like, well, if there were poison, they probably would have, like, tested it and not put them out on the shelves in the first place. But I think I just, my first thought wouldn't be poison. I would Sorry. just be like, this is just something weird. Like, but it, like, I wouldn't, I'd pr- I think dust before i thought poison i don't know but it's just me but there's a lot of panic people are real real worried about being randomly poisoned people outside of me who eats candy from a stranger um who ate road carrots off the side of the road (laughs) um i just don't think anyone's trying to poison me knock on wood um so we're finally getting to the the final finality um (laughs) i don't know we're wrapping it up with with uh what y'all came here for women committing crimes so in 1964 helen file it's p-f-e-i-l file i'm gonna go with resident of greenlawn new york um helen was a housewife it's halloween she was getting pretty fed up with all the teenagers trick-or-treating in her neighborhood. She decided to, to pull a little trick of her own on these rowdy teens. She made up these little packages of inedible goods that included dog treats, steel wood pads, and ant buttons. The, the buttons were clearly marked poison. Um, they had a skull and crossbones on the label. So um, Helen wasn't, like, trying to trick. She wasn't, like... When I first saw this story, I was like, ooh, this evil lady's, like, putting poison in the the teenagers, like, Halloween things, um, Mm -hmm. baskets, bags. I don't know what you use to collect candy. Um, That wasn't the case. She was just doing a bad joke. Um, And she she even told the teenagers, like, oh, this is what you're getting. Ha, ha, ha. Um, And it's just... I think in general, not a a good idea to hand out poison to teenagers, (laughs) but she wasn't intending to, to like harm or deceive anyone. She was pulling a little prank that Helen back in 1964, maybe it was more common to have a bunch of ant poison laying around your home. I don't know. Um, But so there was no record of anybody being harmed as a result of Helen's actions, but some parents were a little angry. Um, their kids came home with poison. I don't know why. A little overdramatic, if, if you ask me. <laughs> um, so 
there was that potential for harm. So Helen was arrested for handing out the ant poison and she pled guilty to endangering children and would eventually receive a suspended sentence, which I asked Becca, our legal consultant, what that meant. And she sent me an article and I never read it. Uh, (laughs) So I would imagine that they went lightly on Helen as this was probably like a first time offense and nobody got hurt. It mm-hmm. was just, like, these parents were angry. And, like, part of me feels for Helen. But at the same time, it, it feels like kind of a common sense thing not to hand out poison to people. You'd think. You'd think. <laughs> she was just trying to do a little joke. A little Halloween <laughs> joke. I'm, like, missing the punchline. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Haha, ha, dog biscuits. Po- <laughs> yeah. Poison. Steel wool pads. I could actually use some steel wool pads, so... If she was handing out cat treats too, I can't. I can't put poison out though because Gary would definitely eat it and die. Yeah, Ollie would too. So that's that's my story. That's all I got. And he was like one paragraph. I was like, oh no, gotta add some meat to this. So just took y'all on a little journey. A little journey. Yeah, poisoning. Um. Yeah. So moral of today's episode is. Don't murder people, don't open the door after 11 o'clock, and don't poison people. Or give people poison for fun. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, and Helen, I just feel like is kind of a little grouch because (laughs) teenagers trick-or-treating, like, even if a grown adult showed up at my house wanting candy, I'd, I'd, you know, they probably really need it, so. Like, myself, I'm frustrated that I cannot go trick-or-treating. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.